This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast, the podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. This is episode 171 entitled, The Son is Not Omniscient, Mark 13, 32. My name is Dustin Smith, and as always, I will be your host. Thanks so much for joining us this week at the podcast. As you might be able to hear, I am suffering from cold-like symptoms that I cannot shake, so I apologize if my voice does not sound very well this week. Please bear with me. In this week's episode, we will look at a saying of Jesus that appears at the conclusion of the Olivet Discourse in which there is a discussion about the timing of the second coming. When Jesus brings up the exact timing of this pivotal event, he admits that he doesn't know it. The heavenly angels don't know it, and it seems that nobody knows it. However, one person does possess the knowledge of the day and the hour, and that person according to Jesus, is God the Father. What are we to make of this passage and its implications on Christology? How did early Christians, who were involved in the developing Christological disputes of the 3rd, 4th, and 5th centuries, understand this passage? And what do modern scholars have to say about this passage? Let's find out on this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Our first point today is the Son admits he is not omniscient. And of course, our passage is Mark 13, 32, which says, according to Jesus, But of that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Mark 13, verse 32. So when you look at the Greek, especially in the final clause, which talks about the Father, it's clear that nobody knows except the Father. No one knows but the Father. It's kind of saying an all-inclusive that nobody possesses this knowledge except for this one person, and that person is defined as Jesus' Father. The Father alone, being the person who knows the day or the hour, means that he possesses insight that he has not shared with his Son, who is regularly depicted in the Gospel of Mark as the authorized agent of God. God has shared his prerogatives with the Son before, such as the ability to forgive sins, the authority to calm these storms and the waters, and of course, the authority over the temple. But omniscience, or the ability to know all things, is not something that Jesus has received from the Father, at least according to this passage. And again, this is something that Jesus himself says. Now someone might ask the question, what if Jesus has two natures? a human nature, and a divine nature. And what if Jesus is only making the statement 
recorded in Mark 13.32, from his human nature, but he's not saying it from his divine nature. Could it possibly be that Jesus' divine nature does know the day and the hour? Well, this actually doesn't work because Jesus is clear in Mark 13.32 that the Father alone knows this particular time. And the phrase, the Father alone, means that no part of anyone other than the Father knows the timing. Jesus is explicitly saying that he does not know. Only the Father knows. So a doctrine of two natures of Jesus does not solve this problem when it comes to issues of Christology. Now, if you believe in a trinity of persons, even the Holy Spirit is actually left out because only the Father possesses this knowledge. And you can't even come up with a kenosis theory to suggest that the Holy Spirit has laid aside its divine knowledge. This is a passage which places the Father at the top of the universe's hierarchy. Now, it's well documented in textual criticism that the phrase in Mark 13.32, nor the Son, was removed from some manuscripts because of the embarrassment of Jesus not appearing to be all-knowing. Now, the removal of the phrase, nor the Son, from Greek manuscripts is most evident in Matthew's version of this statement, which is in Matthew's parallel in Matthew 24. And the fact that it is missing from many of the Matthew versions is best explained because Matthew was the most popular of the four gospel accounts among early Christians. Matthew was even more popular than the Gospel of John. The Gospel of Matthew was copied more frequently, it was quoted more frequently, it was the favorite gospel of the early Christians, especially in the second third and fourth century. Now, Mark's version remained mostly unscathed by the scribes that were trying to remove the phrase, nor the sun. It was, however, removed from Codex X, from some manuscripts of the Latin Vulgate, and it is missing from most of the Coptic and Syriac witnesses. So it's interesting that some scribes who said it's impossible for the Jesus that we believe in, that we think is all-knowing, to say that he doesn't know this. So let's just take it out of the text of Scripture, and that will solve our problems. They were theologically motivated changes to the text. Now when Origen cites this passage... The version that he is reading does not actually contain the phrase, nor the Son. And what this indicates to us is that the scribal tendency to remove this phrase was already underway during the time of Origen, which is the early 3rd century. So it's clear that this admission of Jesus to not being omniscient, to saying that the Father has knowledge that Jesus does not have, was something that bothered early Christians. Let's look at some of the interpretations of this passage by 
early Christians and church fathers. That's our second point today, which is the medieval interpretations of Mark 13.32. Jerome, in particular, comments on this passage by saying that the verse makes, quote, Arius and Eunomius rejoice, end quote. That's in Jerome's commentary on Matthew book 4. So Jerome acknowledges that this is a passage that Arius and Eunomius particularly like. In fact, they rejoice over it. And so he's aware that this was a passage that was at the forefront of the debates of who Jesus was. Jerome is very much aware of those things. Moving on from Jerome to Augustine. Augustine, in particular, interpreted this verse in a very interesting manner. Augustine said that Jesus did, in fact, know the hour, but that he refused to tell it to his disciples. That's in Augustine's work on the Trinity, book 1, paragraph 12, verse 1. So Augustine just read the verse and said, actually, Jesus does know, but he's just not telling the disciples. You can decide for yourself if you think Augustine is reading that passage with much charity towards Mark, the writer. Now, there was a popular interpretation espoused by Ambrose, Jerome, and Augustine that liked to point to Acts chapter 1, verse 7, as we would call it, where Jesus said to his disciples that, it is not for you to know the times. And these authors concluded that since Jesus did not say, it is not for me to know, that Jesus actually did know the day and the hour of his second coming. So that was a popular reading of this particular passage by going to Acts 1-7 and trying to force Acts 1-7 against the plain reading of Mark 13.32. Moving on from those guys, Athanasius, in his Four Discourses Against the Arians, went so far as to teach, in regard to this verse, that Jesus did know the day and the hour in his divine nature, but Jesus didn't know in his human nature. So, despite the fact that Mark 13.32 says that the Father alone knows, Athanasius thinks that this means that the Father and the Divine Son know. That's in his Four Discourses Against the Arians, chapter 3, verse 46. So, we could see that early Christians struggled with this verse. They had a hard time taking it for its plain meaning. They found interesting, creative, and somewhat deceptive ways of interpreting the passage, but it was very difficult for them to accept the plain meaning of it. Jerome seems to suggest that Arius seems to like the plain meaning of it, Eunomius seems to like the plain reading of it, but most of these other writers did not care for that sort of basic, plain interpretation. Now, what do modern scholars do with Mark 13, 32? What do the experts have to say? Let's move to our third and final point, which is modern scholars on Mark 13, 32. 
I was able to actually get a quote from N.T. Wright on what he has to say about this. N.T. Wright is interesting because in his more scholarly work, he seems to suggest that there is a distinction between God and Jesus, but in his more popular writings, he seems to express a high Trinitarian understanding of God and of Christology. But this is what N.T. Wright says in his short commentary on Mark. He says that he, the Son, does not know it because only the Father does. This statement is remarkable. It implies that normally Son and Father work very closely together. Speaking of Jesus and God in this way is very unusual in Mark, though common in, say, John. But it also presses a sharp distinction between the two. Jesus knows a great deal, but he does not know this. End quote. Now, I think that this is an honest admission by N.T. Wright. He points out that there is a sharp distinction between Jesus and God, and that typically in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus and God are working together. But although Jesus knows a great deal of things, he does not know this. And N.T. Wright doesn't try to weasel his way out of that. He's able to say, unlike some of those early church fathers, that Jesus does not know the day or the hour. Only the Father knows. Let's move on. Let's go to R.T. France and his commentary on the Gospel of John. One of the things that France notes in his commentary is that there is apparently an ascending order which places the Son above the angels and second only to the Father. And he describes this as a high Christology, and I think that's very interesting. It indicates that Jesus is higher than the angels, but he is subordinate to the Father. So it's high, but it's not co-equal to the Father. It's a very interesting admission by France, but I think it's the right admission. He goes on and he says that the assertion of Jesus' ignorance on a subject of such importance as the time of his own parousia seems to many incompatible with his status as Son of God. If this title implies that he himself is divine and God is omniscient, how can the Son of God be ignorant? Well, that's the question. If you're going to claim that the title Son of God implies someone who is divine in the same way that God is divine, meaning you share the same attributes as God, and we know that God is omniscient, then how do you make sense of the fact that the Son of God is plainly stating his own ignorance on at this point? France goes on, he says, more specifically, if this is a matter which the Father does know and the Son does not, must we conclude that to be Son of God means something less than full participation in the divine attributes? And my answer to that is yes, absolutely. If you're a son of God, then you are someone distinct from God, and you only have from God whatever God shares with you, empowers you to have, and authorizes you to use. 
Now, France goes on, and he says that even to express these questions directly is to be aware immediately of a change of context. This is the language of later Christian theological debate, not of the Gospel of Mark. So he's pointing out that participating in divine attributes and the Son of God potentially being divine and omniscient is not the language of the Gospel of Mark. It's the language of later Christian theological debate. I think that's right. That's a great admonition. France also says that whatever later readers may have made of it, Jesus' confession of ignorance seems to pose no embarrassment or even surprise for Mark. Mark has, in my opinion, no problem saying this about Jesus because it's not that big a deal. Mark has consistently depicted Jesus as a human being, functioning as the agent of God, and God is someone distinct from Jesus. God is divine. God has all of the attributes of God, and sometimes God shares those attributes with his human anointed son. But this particular attribute of omniscience is not something that God has shared with Jesus. So I think R.T. France has some very interesting points to make on this passage. Moving on, let's go to Thim Perkins' commentary on the Gospel of Mark. She says that verse 32 is an independent saying that also rejects the possibility that any human being knows God's plan for the coming of the end time. And she goes on and says that Jesus does not reveal signs of its approach because he cannot. So Perkins, Dr. Perkins, is noting that human beings don't know God's plan on this. And Jesus can't reveal this because obviously as a human being, he doesn't know. He's unable to reveal something that he doesn't know. So I think that's another admission that Jesus is ignorant of the time of the second coming. Only God knows. Only God possesses these plans. And God has not taken it upon himself to share this with Jesus. Moving along to the Word Biblical Commentary with Craig Evans in the Gospel of Mark. Dr. Evans notes that the inclusion of the Son with those who do not know was an embarrassment for early Christians. And of course, Evans points out that some manuscripts will omit the phrase, nor the Son, from their text. And so, of course, we've looked at the examples of some of those early Christians that were embarrassed on this particular point. And Evans actually says that this suggests that the saying of Mark 13.32 does, in fact, go back to Jesus and not to the early community. Evans does not try to say that this was invented by the early church, but he says that this is an authentic saying of Jesus. Now in the commentary, Evans is going to point out that a couple of other interpreters, famously Boltman and Ernst, 
who try to say that, well, it was a Jewish saying that was a later Christian insertion, or that it was an expansion of a simple verse. But Evans is going to point out that these suggestions are wholly implausible. Why would a Christian have had Jesus admit that he, right along with the angels, did not know the day or hour, and then append this saying to a verse where Jesus has just stated that his word has the same permanence as the word of God. Such an admission strongly recommends authenticity, not inauthenticity. And he quotes a couple of other scholars, um, Grundman and Cranfield, who make the same point. So Evans is saying that this is an authentic verse. People struggle with it, past Christians and even Christians of the 20th century, but this is an authentic saying. It goes back to Jesus. We should acknowledge its authenticity, and we should take it seriously. I think that's a very honest way of reading this passage, and I appreciate the fact that Evans is willing to push back at those people who are trying to find alternative ways of interpreting a simple text like Mark 13.32. Moving on, Joel Marcus in the Anchor Bible Commentary, after surveying many of the early Christian interpretations of Mark 13.32 and their inability to take the text seriously in its basic, plain, simple meaning, says, quote, These interpretations all fly in the face of the plain sense of the verse. But for Orthodox theologians, it was simply not imaginable that the text could mean what it states, nor could Jesus mean what he explicitly declares. End quote. I think that's great. That is an honest admission that this passage needs to be taken in the plain sense of the verse. But if you're part of the orthodoxy, then it's not possible to understand how Jesus could say what he's honestly saying here. Well, maybe we should start taking Jesus seriously and not beginning with a particular theology that we read into the text. So another good note by Dr. Marcus. Moving on, we'll look at Adela Collins' comments in the Hermeneia commentary on the Gospel of Mark. She says that the opening saying declares that no one knows the exact time, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, only the Father knows it. This saying suggests that the date of the arrival of the Son of Man is a deeper and better kept secret than the identity of Jesus, since only Jesus, but also the unclean spirits, know who he is, end quote. And I think that's a very fascinating insight that in the Gospel of Mark, the identity of Jesus is somewhat a secret. Jesus knows it, and the reader knows it, and Jesus is trying to explain it to his disciples, and Peter sort of confesses it. The unclean spirits know it, um, but the date of the arrival of the second coming is something that Jesus himself doesn't know. Only the Father knows it. It's a very fascinating insight 
by Dr. Collins. Lastly, we'll look at the Wisdom Commentary on the Gospel of Mark by Warren Carter. Dr. Carter says that the passage continues to present Jesus as agent or son of God, subservient and representative of the sovereign God, but not equal to God. End quote. Quite right, Dr. Carter. Right on, spot on. Jesus is the agent and the son of God, but he is not equal to God because God possesses knowledge that Jesus doesn't have. God has not shared it with Jesus. Jesus is clearly denying the possibility that he is co-equal with God in this passage. So it's very interesting that modern scholars seem to have no issue acknowledging the basic, plain, simple meaning of this passage, despite what the early Christians were doing with this particular passage. So in conclusion, we have observed that our earliest gospel account, the Gospel of Mark, has Jesus authoritatively stating that he does not know the day or hour of his coming. Only the Father knows. The simplest, most basic reading of this passage suggests that the day and hour of Jesus' second coming is only known by one person, namely God the Father. We first pointed out that this portrays the Son of God, by his own admission, as someone who has not been the beneficiary of God sharing this knowledge. We also pointed out that theories of Christ possessing dual natures, one human and one divine, failed to account for how the Father alone possesses this knowledge. Second, we explored early church fathers who struggled to deal with the force of Mark 13.32 and the implications on Christology, many of whom offered wild readings of the passage in order to justify their own high views of Jesus. Lastly, we surveyed modern critical scholars who wrote commentaries on the Gospel of Mark and observed a unanimous scholarly position that Mark 13.32 depicted Jesus claiming his ignorance to the day and hour, and who said that only the Father possesses this information. By portraying Jesus as limited in knowledge, the Gospel of Mark maintains that Jesus is a human being, functioning as the authorized agent of the true God. Thanks so much for joining us at the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Join us next week as we move into Mark 14 and see more about the views of Jesus contained within our earliest gospel account. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please consider writing an honest review on iTunes and consider supporting us as we promote these important truths about the oneness and unity of God and the humanity of Jesus. If you'd like to offer a donation, you may check out the episode description for a link to PayPal. Special thanks and consideration to our editor and producer, Dustin Williams. 
I am Dustin Smith, your host. Until next time, you folks, please take care.